The sermon this morning again is based on the words from the gospel lesson. It's under the title, Unheard of Grace. You can open up your bulletins to page 7. We'll be looking at those verses together this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Grace is the last best word. At least that's what the famous Christian author Philip Yancey thinks. Even as our world becomes more secular and our vocabulary and the meaning of words changes, like the word tolerant doesn't mean the same thing it did even 20 years ago, the word grace still keeps its, its original meaning. And, and still today, it rings out the gospel to us. We know that, that the word, which keeps its same meaning, simply means love. It means love for those who don't deserve it. And, and we can hear these, these notes, the notes of the melody of God's grace, scattered lovingly throughout our culture. Still today, we say grace before our meals, acknowledging that the food in front of us is a gift from God. Still, today, we are grateful for surprising kindness. Still, today, we are gracious hosts. Still, today, we may leave a gratuity for good service, even though we don't have to. Still, today, publishers here in New York will give you what's called a gracing. In other words, they will give you free magazines, even though you haven't paid for those magazines with the subscription. The opposite of the word is true as well. We use the word in its negative sense. You can have a, quote, fall from grace. And that means that you no longer receive grace in a relationship. And still today, when the U.S. government doesn't want you on the soil here in the United States, they will call you a persona known grata. In other words, you're not going to receive grace from the government of the United States of America. So still, in our use of the word grace and its roots throughout our culture, it still has that meaning still today. Maybe, maybe especially here at Christmas time, you can see notes of grace. It's, it's at this time of the year when we begin to think about being, being generous. You're wrapping Christmas presents, writing thank you notes, giving gratuity and tips to people who serve you, like newspaper people and nannies and teachers and waiters and things like that. But even one might argue, even in Christmas time, we still haven't seen grace. Not really. We will show graciousness and we will give gifts and be generous to those who are kind to us. But what if the service is bad? What if it is undeserved? You, we might say then, as they say in Brooklyn, we'll then forget about it. In other words, you can only give grace, true grace, when you give it to a waiter who gave you bad service. You can only give grace to someone who is your enemy, not 
your best friend. You can only give grace to someone who has caused you loss, someone who has caused you to grieve, someone who has hurt you, someone who deserves something other than your love. And while grace is always undeserved, the kindnesses that we show at Christmas time, isn't it true they are often deserved? So this is not grace, not yet. In fact, it's surprising that even at Christmas time, finding grace, true grace, is actually pretty hard. One of the popular movies around this time of year is Home Alone. And maybe you remember Kevin going into a church at Christmas time and sitting right next to him is an older gentleman and he hasn't this older gentleman hasn't talked to his family members in a long long time because he and his son are holding a grudge clearly this this family is completely dysfunctional and while your family might not be the same not quite maybe and maybe you haven't you maybe it's not true that you haven't cut off a family member but it is probably true that you can remember the hurts and the regrets and the attacks of certain family members. And maybe it's at Christmas time when all of this comes up because, because you have to see them again. Why does this happen? It's because ungrace rules where there ought to be grace. At best, when we look for grace in human relationships, we could say that grace is given on rare occasions with mixed emotions. The opposite is true of God's grace. God's grace is unheard of among humans. God's grace is full and it is always undeserved. And that's exactly what we hear from the angel Gabriel this morning. God announces unheard of grace to Mary and through Mary the entire human race. And, and as we read this lesson, pay attention not only to the notes of d- divine grace that we see in this lesson, but the melody of God's grace. And think about what that means for you and for your relationships with other people. As I read this lesson, hear the word grace. Here in this lesson, the word grace becomes the word favor. But it's the same word that we have come to love and understand. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary Ann. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is God's word. Let's first of all look at this lesson very briefly in, in broad terms. Right here what we have are notes of grace. First of all, here is God's messenger. The angel Gabriel. We haven't heard from him in four, five hundred years when he last talked to the prophet Daniel. But here he is again announcing God's favor, God's grace to the world. Here is God's word. A prophecy made thousands of years before a prophecy kept. Here is God's Holy Spirit creating life just like He created the world. Here is the moment of the incarnation of our Lord. But here, most of all, here is God's unheard of, free and full grace given to a stubborn, rebellious, and a humble, a stumble, rebellious nation into a humble little young lady. This is true grace. It's, it's unheard of, and it's all about what God is doing. But, but let's look at this lesson more specifically. C.F.W. Walther calls this event the incarnation of our Lord. He calls it the greatest, most wonderful, and most incomprehensible of all the mysteries of the Christian religion. You know, Mary, in a sense, she was right to ask the question, how can this be? How can it be that the eternal Son of God now is born and has a beginning? How how can it be that a virgin will give birth. How, how can it possibly be that, that a mere human will sit eternally on a throne? A human who might die. How can it be that we can call this child the Son of the Most High God? Someone compared it to trying to take the seven seas and pouring it into a glass of water. How can you make something that's infinite all of a sudden finite? In God's explanation, may be unsatisfactory, but He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He said. It's the same way that the Holy Spirit came on the Apostles at Pentecost in creating fire and giving them tongues, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Virgin Mary, he says. And you will give birth to a child. And, and this, this birth has no parallel in the scriptures. There, there's other miraculous births, you might say. Isaac 
was born to a woman who was far too old. And so was John the Baptist. Adam, you might say, had a beginning, and the Holy Spirit, through his power, raised up life through him. But we couldn't say about any of these miraculous births, any of these miraculous beginnings, that the father of this child was God. It's kind of like staring into the sun on a hot summer day. If you look at it too long, it will quickly overwhelm you. But what's the point? God has given to us unheard of grace. And for Mary, at least for Mary, this grace changed her life. What do we know about Mary? Mary was probably in this moment between 13 and 15 years of age. She was a very young woman. She hadn't done anything spectacular in her life, not to be noticed by God himself. In fact, she was poor, so poor that just nine months later, she would give birth in a germ-infested, stinky barn. That's how poor she was. She had no means. She was from a hole-in-the-wall town with, that was not respected. Nathaniel said about, about Nazareth that he said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Mary, she was made from the same sinful flesh that we are. And if God had not intervened with his grace in her life, she would have died just like the rest of us, completely forgotten. But God raised up with unheard of grace a young teenage mother so that she would become the most famous woman to ever walk the face of the earth and that we can rightly say about her that she is the mother of God. That's what God's grace does in our lives. Unheard of grace. This unheard of grace is completely unique among world religions. There was a conference recently, on, not so recently actually, but maybe about 50 years ago on comparative religions. And experts and religious leaders, they got together to debate the merits of Christianity. And, and they, they asked themselves, what is unique? Why is Christianity a unique religion among world religions? They, they wondered and they debated, was it the Incarnation? Has any other religion taught the Incarnation, that God would become man? And, and, and there was a debate about that. Well, some religions actually have human beings becoming God. Some other religions have. They, they wondered, well, is it, is it the resurrection from the dead? And there was a debate about that, too. And some said, well, in other religions, some people come back to life again, too. So, so what is unique about Christianity? And C.S. Lewis walked into the room and he said, well, what's all the rumpus about? And they, they described the debate that they were having. And he said, well, that's easy. I'll tell you what's unique about Christianity. It's grace. In no other religion is there grace. Buddhism has its eightfold path. <coughs> Judaism has its covenant law. 
The Quran has its pillars of Islam. Hinduism has its karma. And Christianity has unheard of grace. Where we are in a relationship with God because simply because he loves us. Not because we have done anything that we have earned or deserved. You know, Philip Yancey, I think he's right. Grace is the last best word. And that is what we are going to be celebrating this Christmas time here at Sure Foundation. We, this, this coming December 24th, we're going to light candles and sing silent nights, celebrating the fact that God has come in unheard of grace. We are going to gather here later this week on December 25th at 10 a.m. and celebrate the presence and the incarnation of our Lord. But what does that incarnation do? It gives to us unheard of grace. Amen.